0: Esther again today we're making our way through the book of Esther we'll be in chapter 4 we've been in chapter 4 for a couple of weeks Lord willing we're going to finish up the last few verses today just a few short little verses in Esther but we'll look at a lot of verses today so if there are some of these scriptures that I referenced or go through too quickly for you to, to turn to or to catch you can make a note of them or you can see me afterwards. I'll be glad to give you a list of any of these scriptures that I, that I use so you can look at them in your context. But we're going to look at a lot, of, a lot of scriptures today, both some in the Old Testament and the New Testament, because I want us to kind of get an idea of, of what we'll be talking about today. So Esther chapter 4, just the last few verses, verses 15, 16, and 17 Esther chapter 4, we'll start in verse 15. But Before we do, let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning, and I thank you for your good words. And God, I pray that your spirit would be among us today as we look at these words, that there may be something in here that we see that you can work in our life. God, there's always something in your word that you can work through us if we listen to it. But we gotta hear it, we gotta read it. And so God, I pray that your words is what guides us today. God, I pray that the words that come from my mouth will be for your glory. I pray that they would be led by the Spirit, that God, what we talk about, discuss, and hear today will be to, to help us, dear Lord, to grow in you. So I pray that you hide me behind the cross. I pray that you take away any pride that may be tempting me, or God, anything that may Lead me to think that I can do anything on my will, dear Lord. I can preach and teach today, not because of my power, but because of your power, God. So I pray that you just hide me behind the cross, that you would do a mighty work through your words this morning. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have seen this young Jewish girl in a foreign land against all circumstances that has been chosen to be the queen. And it's because Esther has been chosen to be the queen that there is hope for God's people because a problem has arisen. The king has appointed one of his highest officials, Haman, into this this higher position. And there has been some problems because everybody was supposed to bow and to honor Haman, but Mordecai refused to do so because Mordecai was a Jew. And the book of Esther doesn't tell us clearly, but there may be some tension there that's been building for a while between Haman and between the Jews, between Mordecai's people and Haman's people, between their descendants. And man, Haman is, is furious that Mordecai won't, won't bow to him, won't honor him. And Mordecai was a cousin of Esther, and Mordecai really kind of encouraged and helped Esther to, to, to put herself in the running, if we could call it that, when the king was looking for a new queen. and and, and Esther was chosen, and so Mordecai still had some contact with Esther, and, and Esther saw that, that there was something wrong with Mordecai. Well, Mordecai was very upset because when Haman and Mordecai had this dispute, Haman said, I'm going to kill Mordecai, and I'm going to kill all the Jewish people. And so that's what we've seen take place in Esther chapter 4 up to this point. And, and Queen Esther, in the passage we looked at last week, sent word to Mordecai and said, what's going on? Why are you fasting? Why are you wearing sackcloth and ashes? Why are, you, why are you, you feeling this way? Why are you sad? Why are you depressed? And he sent word back to the queen, look, queen, we got big trouble. Haman sent out this order, order throughout all the land that on this certain day that's coming up in a few months that all of the Jewish people are going to be killed. And he said, look, Esther, you're a Jew. You're not going to escape this. You're not going to be able to to overcome this. Maybe at this point Esther's identity was secret. Maybe nobody knew that she was a a Jew. And it's possible that that's the reason why uh, we see Esther mentioned by a different name at the beginning of the book. The book of Esther, the name Esther, would be a name from the Medo-Persian period. It would have been 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 her Persian name. But at the beginning of the book, we see the name Hadassah which would have been her Jewish name. And perhaps there's some, some significance to that, that the author gives us both of those names, that Esther didn't go by her Jewish name. And so maybe Esther's identity was secret at this point. She was the queen if her identity was secret. She may not get killed, but Mordecai said, but look, you're going to be found out. You're not going to escape this, but but God's still going to deliver his people. Now, he he didn't say the word God because we don't see God mentioned anywhere in the book of Esther, but but he says deliverance will come from from somebody else, from another place. Deliverance will come for God's people, Esther, if you choose not to speak up. But, But then he said in the last verse that we looked at, he said, but Esther, who knows? Perhaps you have been... You've been put in this position as queen for such a time as this. Who knows, maybe God has placed you here so that you can intervene for God's people, so that you can speak up, that God through you can save and deliver his people. And that's the same type of language that we saw a few weeks ago when we looked at the, at, at the book of Joel, in Joel chapter 2, as, as God's people were, were to fast and to weep and to call out to the Lord then. And the same, same language was used, who knows? Maybe God will have mercy on us, that same type of language. And even though God's not mentioned, we see, we see passages and we see coincidences, if we can call them that, where God is putting the right people in the right place. And so Mordecai sends this message back to Esther, and that's where we left off. Who knows, Esther, you have a choice to make. Maybe you right now are where you are for such a time as this, and so it is for us. Maybe where, are we, where we are today where we will be next week, where we will be next year, for something that God has put into our path. And so today, we see Esther's response to Mordecai trying to encourage Esther, please speak up for your people. Please, please use your power that God has placed you in this position. Use this to do God's work. And in verse 15, Esther chapter 4, verse 15, Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa, and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, day or night. I and my female servants will fast in the same way. So here in this first part of verse 16, she says, Okay, I've heard what you said, and what I want you to do now is I want you and the rest of the people to go and fast for me. And I will go and fast, and my people will do the same thing. Now we talked a lot about fasting, about prayer and about fasting, and about about, you know, weeping and mourning and wearing sackcloth and ashes, and that was often something people did when they were in a when a state of repentance when they wanted God to deliver them. There were lots of different different reasons why people may do that, but usually it was in a time of mourning or in a time of, of 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 repentance or in a time of people needing God to come and to deliver them from something that they were going through. And we talked a lot about that. We won't talk too much about that in depth today, but we will look at just a just a couple of scriptures that talk about the idea that idea of fasting and seeking God because. It's not evident to us in the book that when they fast that they are praying because it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily tell us that. But we see that connection in that same language with Joel chapter 2, that who knows, let's fast and let's pray, uh, who knows, God may, may hear these things, he may have mercy on us. And, and we see that same language here in Esther, which probably, uh, or well, I won't say probably, but it, it may very well mean that, that, that Mordecai was familiar with these words in, in Joel and that it's a, a, a reference there and an acknowledgment that, look, when we do fast, it is because we're seeking God. And we see, we see lots of examples in the Old Testament of that being the case. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 16, uh, after David uh, had committed a, a great sin and his, 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 his son was about to die, it says, David pleaded with God for the boy. He fasted, went home, and spent the night uh, laying on the ground. And so here we see this idea of praying or calling out to the Lord. David pleaded with the Lord and fasted in hopes that God would hear that and heal his son. We see this similar language in Daniel chapter 9, verse 3. Daniel said, so I turned my attention to the Lord, Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So here we see these same, these, the same type of language, the sackcloth, the ashes, the fasting. And here we see a couple of, of examples where this is associated with prayer, with godly men who are seeking God in prayer while they are uh, doing these things. Back in Ezra which would have been a couple of books before Esther, as God's people were returning back to Jerusalem and coming back to their land after being held captivity. Uh, We see this prayer in Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 through 23. It says, I proclaimed a fast by the Ah Ahava River so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us, our children, and all our possessions. I did this because I was ashamed to ask the king for infantry and calv- calvary, cavalry cavalry uh, to protect us from enemies during the journey. Since we had told him, the hand of our God is gracious to all who seek him. But his great anger is against all who abandon him. So we fasted and pleaded with our God about this, and he granted our request. So just one more example of people pleading or praying And fasting to God about something that that was going on in their life. They wanted somebody else to be delivered or they wanted to be delivered. And in the case of Ezra, we say, look, they prayed and they fasted and God granted their request. God was with them. God helped them as they were returning into the land of Jerusalem. And so Esther here says, all right, this is a big, big decision I have to make. This is a big thing that I'm about to have to do because last week in the passage we read that, look, you couldn't go before the king unless the king called you to come in. And Esther said, look, it's been 30 days and the king hadn't called me to come in. If I go before the king, he may just order that I be killed on the spot. And so Esther's life was on the line as she went before the king. But it was also on the line if she kept quiet because, well, she would probably at some point be killed too since she was a Jew and the order was to kill the Jewish people. And so Esther hears Mordecai's uh, cry for help here and she says, okay, Mordecai, I want you to go fast. And I believe we can safely assume that in that fasting was prayer and pleading to God. Okay, God, help us. Okay, God, deliver us. Okay, God, hear our prayers. Okay, God, be with Esther because she's fisting to, to go in there before the king. And God, you're going to have to protect her. You're going to have to be with her. And so Esther said, you, you fast. You get all the people you can to fast. I'm going to fast. All of my people's going to fast because I have a decision to make and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go before the king to tell him about this plan to kill the Jews in hopes that something can be done. And at the end of verse 16, it says, After that I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had ordered him. So Esther had made up her mind. She was gone. She was going before the king. Now, that, that, that would have probably been a difficult thing to do. I mean, I don't know if anybody in here has ever had your life on, a, on the line for a choice you've had to make, but if you had, you can relate. But, but if we have not been in that situation, we can only imagine that if I do this action, I may very well be killed. So do I want to do this action? That was the choice that Esther was faced with, and she said, look, it's against the law for me just to be bop in there and go before the king and say, hey, king, how you doing? Let me ask you a question. She said, I know that I'm not supposed to do that. She said, but you be fast and I'm going to fast and I'm going to do it. She said, I know the consequences. I may perish. And if, it, if it's the case, so be it. If I perish, I perish. And that's something for us to consider today. And that's something for us to think about today is that in Esther's case, God had placed Esther where she was, and there was an opportunity for Esther to stand up and do the right thing for the deliverance of other people who were going to be killed. But she also knew that if she was going to take a stand for the Lord, if she was going to do the right thing and she was going to speak up, her life may be in jeopardy. Her life, she, she at the very least may lose some of her... Some of her comfort, she may, she, she, she may lose the queenship, but I mean, realistically, she's gonna die. She's going to lose her life. But she said, Look, I'm gonna do what is right. And if I die, I die. And really, that's what God calls us to in our life of service to Him. And, and you may hear that and say, like, Man, that's harsh. Why would I why would I wanna serve a God like that? Well, reason number one is. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us so that we could be forgiven because it was through the death of Jesus Christ that we receive life. And so Jesus says, come to me, follow me, listen to me, and follow my example because what's the most important thing to God is that all who would be saved would come to him through Jesus Christ, would put their faith in Jesus Christ, be forgiven, and be delivered because that's God's desire, right? is that death doesn't have the final say in our life. Now, unless Jesus returns, we're all going to die. We're all going to get to a point in our life where our life will be gone. And apart from Jesus Christ, man, when our death comes, it's only going to lead to more suffering and more pain. But in Jesus Christ, God says, I I want something better than death. I want something better than than just for life to end, but I want life to to be resurrected. I want there to be eternal life. And the only way that could occur and can occur and does occur is through Jesus Christ. And so when we look at Jesus Christ and we see the love that he had for us, greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for others, which is what Jesus did for us. And if we're called to follow Jesus Christ, what was the heart of Christ? that people would come to him and hear the good news of the kingdom of God and that they would, they would see his sacrifice and that they would repent of their sins and put their faith in him. And that was the message that Jesus wanted to get out. And that was the message that those who came after Jesus wanted to get out. And that is the message that Jesus calls us to get out. And so once we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the most important thing for us is to live for Jesus Christ. Now, we have to realize and understand that sometimes as Christians, living for Jesus Christ is going to come with great difficulties. And I would say it almost certainly does. I mean, if we're really living for God, we are going to face some kind of opposition. At the very least, people may, they may, they may talk bad to us. They may, they may say they don't want to hear what we have to say, uh, things like that. But, but that's, in the grand scheme of things, that's not really really major. But even that may deter us from doing God's work. Even then we may say, man, if I step up and I say this thing, I know people aren't going to like what I have to say, so maybe I should just be quiet. Maybe I won't take a stand for the Lord. So, so even in, in things that we may label as small... It may be difficult for us to take a stand for the Lord, but but we need to be ready to take a stand for the Lord. We need to be willing to take a stand for the Lord in the small things and even up to the greatest thing. What would be the greatest thing that we could do if if we took a stand for the Lord knowing that it was going to cost us our life and we, like Esther, said, all right, God, I have an opportunity to do what is right and to do what is good and to stand for you and to show your love through my obedience to you. And God, it may cost me my life, but if I perish, I perish. And that's really, and that's really what God calls us to, and that's a hard thing to do. And so, and so we have to think, okay, am I ready to stand for the Lord? Am I ready to live for the Lord? And am I ready to die for the Lord? And that's the choice that Esther had to make. And that's the same choice that you and I have to make. And we see lots of scriptures that speak of of these things. Now, when we talk about dying to the Lord, in some sense, there's a spiritual application there. And we see that mentioned for us in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Because Paul says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished. So that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is free from sin's claims. Okay, so he's speaking about a death there, but he's saying that we have died to our sin. That, that once we have come to Jesus Christ, that our sins have been nailed to the cross, and we have died to our sins, we are free from sin. So we no longer have to live in sin, we live in the freedom of Jesus Christ. And, and in that sense, I, I, he's speaking more, more spiritually and that, that we have a, a death to sin, but, but yet we're still alive, we're still living, but we're living in freedom, even though we have died to sin. And so we see that type of language, but, but we see a lot of language about physically living for the Lord, and about physically dying for the Lord, and about sometimes living for the Lord. It's tough, right? It's not easy to live for the Lord. And And I wish I could tell you today that, man, we we only should do easy stuff and never do things that makes us feel uncomfortable or put ourselves in harm's way. But that's just not simply, that's that's not what God calls us to. Many of the things that God calls us to are things that are difficult, are things that take us out of our comfort zone, are things that may put us in harm's way are things that may cost us our life. Now, I'm not saying today that we need to say, all right, well, if my life's not on the line, then let me get on a plane and go somewhere today where my life is on the line so that I can know I'm serving the Lord. Well, that's not gonna make us a better Christian, but what we do need to do is say, okay, God, I'm ready to live for you. And wherever you lead me, I will go. And whatever situation you put me in, I will be obedient to you. And perhaps for us, maybe our situations will be like Esther's. Through a, through a series of, 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 of circumstances that we couldn't foresee, we end up in a place we couldn't foresee, and we end up in a situation that we couldn't foresee. And maybe in that situation, our life may be on the line. Or maybe at the very least, God calls us to go and share his love and share the gospel with someone around here. And we may be kind of anxious or, or, or kind of tense about that. That may be out of our comfort zone. But wherever God sends us, whatever God calls us to, we need to say, okay, God, I'm ready to stand for you in every way that I can. And and the way that we we get ready to do that is by seeking the Lord and trusting the Lord, by spending time in his word and by praying to him and by maturing as followers of Jesus Christ. And that's how we have the ability to do that. You may be saying today, you, you may be sitting here saying, man, I don't know that I could die for the Lord. If my life was on the line, I don't know that I could do that. And maybe you couldn't. And so maybe uh, that's, I mean, that's why we read God's word. That's why we come to, that's why we come to God's house. That's why we pray to God. That's how we see God. We want to mature in God so that we can grow in him, so that we can be strong enough to say, God, when situations arise in my life, I'm going to stand for you. Well, we see in Philippians chapter one, verses 20 and 21, another letter of Paul. We'll read a lot of Paul's stuff here today. And He says in Philippians 1, 20 and 21, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. And so Paul here says, look, I know what's most important. And if I have to die for the Lord, then so be it. Because for me, To live is for Christ. If I live, I'm going to live for Christ. And if me living for Christ caused my death, then that's a gain. He says that's not a loss. You see, we we think of death as the worst thing ever. I mean, it is tough, right, when we lose people we love or we think about, man, I'm going to die. But for those who were in Christ, we need to have this mindset that Paul has. Death is a gain. Because we don't don't lose anything in death. If we're in Christ, we gain eternal life. Now, think about this right now. In this world, here, we got $4 a gallon, $5 a gallon gas. We've got pain. We've got suffering. We've got cancer. We've got war. We've got all kind of hard stuff. And when you die, you leave all that behind. Now, that's not such a bad thing. But we're not really sad because we leave all that behind, right? We're sad because because we leave our family behind. We're sad when we lose people we love because we're not going to get to see them. But we have to rem- to remind ourselves, even though there is that sadness of, of losing people we love, for the one who has died in Christ, there is no sadness. There is gain. They gain uh, uh, an eternity with the Lord. They gain an eternity without the pain and the suffering and the heartache and all of those things. And so... Paul recognized, look, I'm going to live, and I'm going to live for the Lord, and it may cost me my life, but even if it does, it's going to be for my gain because when I leave this old world, I will be with the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, For we who live are always given over to death because of Jesus, so that Jesus' life may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul says, But I count my life of no value to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And so when Paul thinks about life, he thinks about it as service to the Lord. And that is how we should think about life. When we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we no longer live for ourselves. We live for the Lord. We live in service to the Lord. And what does, that, what does that mean? It means we've experienced the love of Christ, and we want to share that love with other people because we live in a world that certainly needs to know what true love is and what it means to really love people and to put others' needs before yours and to consider others as more important than yourself. And so when Paul talks about his life, he says, I consider it no value. Not that he thinks life is of no value, but but that is he doesn't think life of living for himself is any value because he knows his life needs to be lived for the Lord. And, and here in Acts chapter 20, Paul is, is getting ready to to head to Rome. That's where he's. That's where he's desiring to go. And as he's on his way, he's seeing a lot of people uh, before he, he he begins to make this journey. And and he's telling these people who he served with, other brothers and sisters in Christ. Hey, I'm I'm ready to serve the Lord. I'm ready to go where I have to go because I don't value my life just to keep living for myself. But I want to live my life the Lord and then later on in Acts chapter 21 just a little bit a little bit past that verse we just read as Paul is seeing more people uh, they were they were saying don't do it don't go Paul this is not going to end good for you if you if you leave if you go to Rome and in Acts chapter 21 verse 13 it says then Paul replied what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart for I am ready not only to be bound but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of our of the Lord since he would not be persuaded we stopped talking and simply said the lord's will be done and so it's pretty clear that paul is not just saying these words for me to live as christ and to die as King. he really he's put putting these things into action he's not just saying i'm ready to live for god i'm ready to die for god but he actually is in a place where he seeks the lord and trusts the lord enough that he's living that out and the question is Are you and I in that place in our life? I mean, it's easy for us to sit on these comfortable pews with the heater on, with no threat at all today. Well, I say no threat. Very, very little threat today. And say, oh yeah, I'm ready to live for Jesus and I'm ready to die for Jesus. But are we really? Are we really? You know, we may see passages like these that we're looking at and we say, yes, I am ready to die for Jesus. But are you ready to live for it? You see, a lot of people may say, yeah, I would die for you. If somebody came in today and put a gun to my head and said, deny Jesus or die, you'd say, I wouldn't deny Jesus, I'd die. Would you? Maybe so. How do you know? Well, I don't know if there is any way to know. But I would venture to say that if you're not willing to live for Jesus, chances are you're probably not willing to die for him. And what might that look like? Well, it may look like something just as simple as God's put on your heart. You need to go share the gospel with this person. And you say, I can't, I'm too afraid. I can't do it. I'm too afraid. I don't know what to say. I don't know what they're going to say. Well, if we're too afraid to live for Jesus and serve Jesus and we say, man, God's calling me to do this, this ministry here, but I'm going to have to go to this place and I'm going to feel uncomfortable. I just, I don't know that I can do that. Well, if we're not, if we're not willing or able to live for Jesus in the smallest things, Will we be able to die for Jesus should it come to that? Now, maybe we will. Maybe there's no connection between those two areas of our life. But I think that, that as, we, as we listen to God, when God puts us in situations and calls us to do those little things, if we can call them that, the more we are obedient and say, you know what, God, I don't feel comfortable. This is going to be difficult. I don't know what to say, but God, you put it on my heart, so I'm a going and I'm a doing it. And the more, we, the more we do things like that, the more we listen to God's calls and we, and we do what God has called us to and we end up in the places where he's put us and we let him use us in those places, the more we begin to mature, the more we begin to trust God. And I believe the more we would come like, like Paul where we can say, okay, God, I really am ready to live for you. And so it requires trust. It requires prayer. It requires time in the word for us to make it to that point. In Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38, this is Jesus speaking. So even Jesus talks about the difficulty of following him and what that will look like in our life. Now, Paul lived that out, but but Jesus speaks about that. I think it's important for us to look at a couple of words that he speaks here. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, it says, Summoning the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world, yet lose his life? So here Jesus says, take up your cross. And, 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 And when we think about the cross, I mean... It, it may give us strength in a certain way because we think about Jesus, that he suffered on the cross, that he was sacrificed on the cross, that he gave his life for us on the cross. And so we find, we find some strength in the cross in that sense, not that, we, uh, not that we don't realize how serious it was and how painful it was, mm-hmm. but, but we find encouragement in that. And we go, uh, we sometimes may use language like we kneel at the foot of the cross or we bring our, our sins to the cross and our, and, our, and our worries to the cross. And so the cross is a, is a positive thing for the Christian because of what Jesus did and, and what it represents. But but at the time that, that Jesus was speaking these words, man, to be to be nailed to a cross was, was a horrible punishment for the worst of the worst people. And so when Jesus says, you know, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I mean, Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, it is not going to be easy. Now, that's not a popular message. If I were to sit here today and preach nothing but good stuff about how much God loves you and God's going to bless you and make you wealthy and healthy and there's never going to be any harm at all in your life if you say the name of Jesus enough, I could probably fill this church a hundred times over. But that's not what God's Word says. God's Word says, okay, it's going to be difficult. Now, that's not to say that God doesn't bless us sometimes materialistic things and doesn't answer our prayers and doesn't give us good health and it's not with us he certainly is and we should call on the name of Jesus those things that I said are not bad things and and sometimes God works in those ways but the truth is is that God's word says look if you live for me it's going to be difficult if you read the rest of the New Testament after Jesus ascended, guess what? It was difficult for the early early believers and early followers of Christ. And Jesus says that, look, if you follow me, you got to take up your cross. You got to deny yourself. You got to consider living for God is more important than living for yourself. Now we like to live for ourselves, right? We like to live for ourselves and have big fancy houses and bank accounts full of money and all the coolest things and and cool jobs and cool vehicles and and live life happy and go on fancy vacation and all those things, and that's living for ourselves. And again, having some of those things and some pleasures in life is not necessarily an evil thing. But the problem with those things is they become what we live for. So we have to be careful that we don't live for the things that we have that maybe God has blessed us with, but we live for Christ. And so that's why Jesus says to deny ourselves. And he says, look, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. The only way we can save our life is through Jesus Christ. If we try to save our life in any other way, we lose our life. But if we, lose, if we lose our life in Christ, oh, what great benefit that is. Oh, what gain that is because we will be with Jesus Christ for all of eternity. Just a couple of more passages as we close. Mark chapter 10, verse 28. Peter began to tell him, that is Jesus, Look, we, we have left everything and followed you, I assure you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left brother or sister, mother or father, children or fields because of me and the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So Peter says, look, we, we've left everything. We really are following you with all we got, and Jesus said, good. Because there's nobody who puts, who puts me first, who's left everything to serve me, that I will not bless them in the age to come. You may, you may suffer persecutions in this life. You may have to give up some of the worldly luxuries. But Jesus says, everybody and anybody who does that for me will receive a blessing in the day to come. And then he says a very, a very good passage for us to remember. Many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Many people would hear a sermon like this and say, you're nuts if you say you're going to die for God. Not me, I'm living for myself. I'm going to build my wealth. I'm going to live the good life. I'm going to have a good time in this world. I'm not, I'm not going to die for God. That's too hard. I'm not going to live for God. There's no fun in that. So many people would live for themselves in this world and they will, they will get to big positions of power in political areas or, or businessmen or whatever it may be. And they'll trust in their own wealth. And they may be looked at as famous and rich and celebrities in this world. But many in this world who are first will be last. But those who are last will be first. Those that many in the world would look at and say, you're nuts if you're going to follow God and live for God and give your life for God and for others. You're nobody. But it's the nobodies that Jesus said, look, I come to save you if you'll follow me. You may be viewed as nothing in this world, but you will be precious in the life to come. John chapter 12, verse 24. I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. The one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be. Will, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say, Father? Save me from this hour. But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, "I have glorified it, and will glorify it again." So here Jesus says a very similar thing to what we've talked about, that we must not choose to live for ourselves in this world, but to choose to live for him. And then at the end of this passage, Jesus is, 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 is close to the cross. He's about to give his life. He's in one of those situations like Esther was in, where he knows that if he doesn't give his life, For us, that we all perish, that all of humanity will die in its sins, a death, and we will never be saved from our sins, but be separated from God for all of eternity. And while Jesus doesn't say the words, if I perish, I perish, Jesus does say words that are somewhat similar. He knows what's before him, and he has a decision to make like Esther had to make, and he says, now my soul is troubled. Why is his soul troubled? Because he knows that he's about to be be crucified. He's about to suffer. He's about to lay his life on the line, and he's about to die. Death is a reality for Jesus, and his soul is troubled. And so what should he say in in that instance? Father, save me from this hour, but that is why I've come to this hour. Father, to glorify your name. So here Jesus was in a situation for such a time as that that he had came to this world, that God had sent his only begotten son, that the only begotten son chose to come to give his life as a ransom for many. And he says, look, I'm troubled at what's before me. I'm troubled at what I'm about to have to go through, God. But God, I desire to serve you. So what should I pray, God, that this, this hour pass from me? No, he says, because I have come for this hour. To use the words of Esther, Jesus may would have said, I have come for such a time as this, so that the Father may be glorified. And that, that is our example. We see Esther, her life is on the line to serve God and to save others. And we see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whose life was on the line. But he said, I will perish. I will perish God so that people can be forgiven we see Paul after Jesus that said you know what I'm not going to live for myself I'm going to live for the Lord and so it should be for us what choice will we make in the places that God has put us with the opportunities that God has placed before us will we say God I come to serve you and bring honor to you And I'll do it. Or we'll be turned down that opportunity and say, God, I won't stand. Let us us be like Esther and say, God, I'll love you and I'll serve you. And if I perish, I perish. Let us be like our Lord and Savior who gave his life for you. I pray that we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would follow His example, that we would love others in the way that He loved us. So that they can know the truth of the gospel. So that they can experience forgiveness of sins. And so that death in this world will not be the final say for us. Jesus Christ died for us, but praise the Lord. He has been risen. He has been raised by the Lord. And so we are more than conquerors, the scripture says. Even though death came, we are victorious over death through Jesus Christ and I hope you are experiencing that victory today let's pray Father God we come to you today and we thank you for your good words and God I pray that you would help us to to see what was going on in Esther's life and to see her, her her fear dear Lord but that she she trusted you even in the midst of that fear that we see Jesus Christ God that even in the midst of his anguish in his time of trouble, that he was willing to stand for you, dear Lord. And God, may that be so for us. God, may we be willing to live for you in the little opportunities you put before us. May we be bold enough and trusting enough to trust you with bigger opportunities you put before us. And God, as tough as it may be, should the day ever come, that we are called to put our life on the line to serve you may you give us the boldness and strength to do so dear Lord maybe we're not all ready to do that today dear Lord there's really no way to know but the only way that we can we can get ourselves ready is to live for you so God let us not be concerned about those days if and when they should come But God, let us do the best we can to grow in you in these days. Let us seek your word. Let us seek your son. And let us grow in you so that we can be the men and the women you want us to be. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.